Hello and welcome to the Evil Lawyer's Guide to Life. I am Jay Lucas, the Evil Lawyer, and since last week we talked about getting away with murder, this week we're going to talk about getting away with a DWI. Avoiding, avoiding a DWI, not getting away with a DWI. That's going to be part two. This is avoiding a DWI. The obvious thing is you should never drive drunk. Driving drunk is bad. It's horrible. It's like stepping on a kitten. You should not drive drunk. I'm not condoning anyone driving after they've been drinking. I have been hit by a drunk driver, and it cost me a fortune, and I almost got killed. So, if you call me a hypocrite, okay, maybe you're right, but I've also represented a lot of people in DWI cases, and I've represented people in DWI cases since I got hit by a drunk driver, and it almost cost me my life. So, maybe I'm not a hypocrite, maybe I'm just a whore. You decide. They did pay me, so I'm thinking, just a whore. There's Uber, there's Lyft, there's Yellow Cab, there's making one of your friends suffer through being a designated driver and watching everybody else have fun all night long while they sit there with a glass of water. There are, uh, you, you can meet somebody at the bar and go home with them. There are a whole lot of ways to avoid driving drunk, but for the sake of making this a little bit more politically correct and not saying sometimes you just got to get home. There's been a zombie apocalypse. It's taken out all the Uber drivers. They were the first infected. They infected the Lyft drivers. The Lyft drivers infected the cab drivers. You only have one way home and you have to make a jack-in-the-box run because you've got the munchies. So you have to drive after you've had a few and then a few more and then you went to another bar And then you went to a club, and then you went to a strip club, and then you went to an after party, and then you went back to the strip club for breakfast, and now you need to get home, and the zombies have eaten all the Uber drivers, so you have to drive drunk. I had a friend, you know, drove, literally got away with driving drunk pretty much every single night for two decades, another attorney, and um, was killed in a alcohol-related accident when he was stone-cold sober. The person that hit him and killed him was hammered. How's that for karmic irony? So, and he had another friend who's a doctor who used to, we used to get hammered together, and he would drive halfway across Texas to get back to his ranch, wasted the whole way, and the one time he got pulled over, he put a face mask on and told the officer that he had... So I, don't know, I don't remember what disease it was, but it, now with the Kung Flu and the Wuhan and all that, it would probably even work even better. But he did get away with it. Uh, he was uh, escorted to his ranch, and the guy checked on him to make sure he was okay. The mask did a couple of things. It stopped the cop from smelling his breath, which, uh, and it also it just kind of threw him off of his game. And that, that brings us to, you know, if you get pulled over and you've had a few drinks— What do you do? We're going to talk about that later. I had another friend who always had a bottle of scope in the car. I had another friend who always blamed the alcohol smell on Purell, and these people got pulled over more than once, and I think one of them finally got a DBI, but the other one got away with it until they just kind of, actually, they got wealthy enough that they they got a driver, so they don't drive drunk anymore. They just get driven around while they're drunk. 
and then after they pass out, they get driven home, which is kind of nice. If you can afford a driver, and and I know people who can, and they they won't even they're too cheap to pop for a driver. Okay, that's fine. That's you know thirty forty thousand bucks a year, but they're too cheap to pop for Uber. You know, it's like spend the money that way. You're not butt clenched up all the way home, hoping you don't get blue lighted. But if you got to do it, you got to do it. The first thing, if every time you get behind the wheel of the car and you've had a couple of beers, you hit a tree or a curb, and I know people like this, I know, and, and I cannot mention her name. I know she's listening, so I'm not talking about you. Really, I am. Car looks like it's driven by Stevie Wonder, and every one of those dents is a whiskey dent. And how she avoids getting a DWI, I have no idea because I've seen her come home dragging a wheel like sideways on the car after, I, I don't know what she hit. I, I'm assuming it was a curb because there wasn't any blood on the front of the car. Of course, it's a BMW. And yeah, if you're going to wreck a car, BMW is probably a good choice because it gets BMWs off the road faster and BMWs deserve it. You know, if you're a really lousy drunk driver or if you're a really lousy driver, period, uh, and you don't get better when you've been drinking, it's probably not for you. Take the Uber because you're going to get caught. Your odds of getting caught go way up if you don't know how to drive drunk. If I know how to drive drunk, I mean concentrating on the road, using the cruise control. Most cars nowadays, the cruise control will go all the way down to about 40 miles an hour, which means you can use it on city streets provided that's the speed limit. So if you don't have to worry about your speed, then the only thing you have to worry about is steering. It's easier to maintain lane when you're not worried about uh, not going too fast or not going too slow. And more people get pulled over because they're speeding up and slowing down than get pulled over because they're swerving. So the, I, I don't know why you pulled me over. I wasn't swerving. Well, maybe you weren't. Maybe you had that thing dead center in between the lines and you kept it dead center all the way from the bar to where you're now standing on the side of the road. It's the speeding up and slowing down. Now, if you're swerving all over the place, you're yeah, they're going to pull you over. But most people know not to swerve and they've practiced it and they're good at it. They don't know not to speed up and slow down. So just like the way the field sobriety tests work, which they're called divided attention tests, it's hard for your intoxicated brain to do two different things at one time. It's kind of the legal equivalent of patting your tummy and rubbing your head. Or is it rubbing your tummy and patting your head? Anyway, it's the legal equivalent of that. And, well, the biological equivalent of that. The more intoxicated you are, the the harder it is to do divided attention tasks. And one divided attention task is maintaining lane while going the same speed. Another one is paying attention so you don't slam into things in front of you. So turn the radio off. If it's the slightest bit warm, crank the AC. I, I'm not telling you how to drive drunk. I'm just telling you that I've heard these things work. I may or may not have tried them myself. Don't don't drive drunk if you're not good at it. And don't drive drunk with reckless abandon. You know, you get in the car, you're like, hey, man, let's see how fast this car go. And you turn the radio all the way up and you're going to get pulled over or you're going to kill somebody or you're going to wipe out and kill yourself. So, you know, if you absolutely positively have to, remember we're talking about a grid down zombie apocalypse situation 
and you got to get the jack in the box and get some food because you're not going to be leaving your house for a while with all the zombies and everything. Make sure that you turn the radio off, turn the AC up, or turn the heat off if it's wintertime, and use the cruise control to maintain speed and pay attention to maintain lane and not hit anything. Your reaction times are going to be totally screwed. So if some other drunk swerves into you or whatever, you're probably not going to be able to avoid it. And then they're going to take both of you to jail. We'll get to that a little bit later. Do not run errands on your way home. I know you want to stop at Jack in the Box. I know you want to go to three more bars and a club and an after party. I know you're like, oh my God, tomorrow is a work day and I need to fill up the car. Do not stop on your way home. I've talked to police about this. One of the ways they get get people is that people stop and run errands on their way home because they're hungry or or whatever. And I'm not talking about necessarily going to an all-night restaurant because you're starving and, and drunk and you need to sober up because you may walk in that restaurant if you make it. You may walk in that restaurant over the limit and you may walk out of that restaurant legally sober, under the limit, and not impaired. And that brings us to a disclaimer and then some law. Disclaimer, do not do anything you hear on this show. This show is intended for entertainment purposes only. It's not legal advice. It does not create an attorney-client relationship with me. The only way you do that is by hiring me back to the restaurant. Look, if you got to stop and eat, then go in there and eat and take your time and tip the waitress well because she's had to deal with your drunk ass for about an hour and a half and then go home and you'll your odds of, of making it are probably pretty good depending on how wasted you were when you got there and hopefully by the time you leave you're sober. I think everybody knows by now your body processes alcohol at about one drink an hour. So if you're hardcore and you have 12 drinks then, you know, it's going to take 12 hours to get all the alcohol out of your system. But depending on your size, you probably got a three or four drink level before you're legally impaired by your blood alcohol content. And now we get to the law. In Texas, a DWI is defined as having a blood alcohol of 0.08 or higher. And it used to be 0.10, which I think was a lot better. As 0.08, most people are not impaired at 0.08. And I've seen a lot of DWI cases, and most of the DWI cases that I've worked and I've seen have been in the 0.15 to, we'll talk about the highest one I ever saw in a minute. But it is 0.08, and now they want to reduce it to 0.05, which is just absurd. That's, you know, I smelled of somebody else's drink, and then three hours later I decided to drive home. but the law is what it is, 0.08 or higher, or otherwise impaired. And the or otherwise impaired, most people don't know that. They don't understand it. That means that if there's anything in your system that is causing you to be impaired, you get a DWI. So when you get out of the car, when they say, get out of the car, and you get out of the car, and you say, officer, I, you know, I got a cold. I took some Benadryl. Impaired. Under the law, you're or, or otherwise impaired. Officer, I broke my neck two weeks ago and I'm on pain meds. Here's my prescription. Or otherwise impaired. Jail. Officer, 
I broke my leg three weeks ago and I'm on pain meds and muscle relaxers. I don't have my prescription, but uh, these are the pills I'm taking. You pull them out of your pocket. Now you're double effed because it's illegal to not have them in the prescription bottle they came in. Jail and more jail. Uh, officer, uh, you see where I'm going. Um, it has to be a voluntary or otherwise impaired. So if you were at a party and someone drugged you, that's not going to count. Good luck getting anybody to believe it, unless you were at Bill Cosby's house, or maybe, I guess now it would be Harvey Weinstein, since Cosby's already done. However, uh, this can be mitigated by exercising your Fifth Amendment right, whether you say you're exercising your Fifth Amendment right, and just shutting the hell up. The more At the point he pulls you over, he wants to, if it's one of those if it's a pretext stop, if he's pulls you over, makes something up because it's two o'clock in the morning and he knows that, you know, six out of 10 people on the road at two o'clock in the morning are drunk and he just doesn't like the way you look or whatever. And he pulls you over. He comes up to the car. He talks to you for a second. He doesn't smell any alcohol. You're nice. Um, you might get let go. But once you're pulled over and that officer says, have you been drinking? You're probably going to jail. Unless you are an attorney who does DWIs and knows exactly what to say and what not to say, or you're very politically connected. You know, that old cop show, I remember this guy who actually was a friend of Ross Perot's, screaming, I'm a friend of Ross Perot's and going to jail anyway. Yeah. Um, unless you can actually call that person on the phone right then and tell them, I'm getting a DWI. You need to call somebody and do something about it. This has happened. You're 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 going. And the old saying, I've said this on other shows, you can beat the rap, but you can't beat the ride. This comes into play here. When the officer asks you if you've been drinking, don't lie, don't answer. If you have. If you haven't, say no. If you have, don't answer him. If you're on the borderline, and you can't make up your mind, don't lie. Notice I didn't say answer. I'm just saying don't lie. I wouldn't tell the truth either. Well, in between not lying and telling the truth, there's one other. He's already made up his mind that he's probably going to take you to jail. Unless you're at shift change time or he's about to go eat, you know, you're probably going to jail. Be nice. Be respectful, but don't give him any evidence. At this point, that's what he's doing. He's collecting evidence for the case that's going to be titled the state of Texas versus you, the DWI case. So we've already determined that, yes, those blue lights were for you. I had a client one time who got a felony fleeing charge because she was so hammered that she thought the blue lights were for someone else, and they followed her for miles. We got the felony fleeing charge dismissed. Uh, DWI she had to plea to. But yeah, if the blue lights come on, it's two o'clock in the morning and they're right on your bumper. Those are for you. Your entire evening just got changed. Uh, that's not the time to start reaching for stuff either because they're going to be watching you because they think you're probably going to hide whatever other substances you may have on you uh, when you left the bar. Trying to talk as little as possible will also serve to blow a whole lot less of your booze hound alcohol breath in the officer's face 
It might be the sliver that keeps you from being asked the next question, which is, I need you to exit the vehicle. Once you're asked to exit the vehicle, you're going to jail. I can think of one or two times I've ever seen where somebody did the field sobriety tests perfectly and didn't go to jail. And I've seen a lot of DWI cases. I've tried a lot of DWI cases where the person's field sobriety tests were arguably perfect. You bring in an expert, expert looks at them, they're perfect. They performed everything perfectly. There was no jitter on the uh, HGN, the horizontal gauge nystagmus. That's where they put your fing- their finger back in front of your eyes and tell you to follow it while they're shining a flashlight in your face. Now, those tests... And we'll talk about that in part two when you're going to the courthouse and you're going to get buried. I have seen a lot of cases where people walked the straight line, followed the directions, did the finger count, did the alphabet, did everything perfectly, still got taken to jail. So the minute he asks you to get out of the car at this point, he's just, all he's doing is collecting evidence. You can respectfully refuse to take all of those tests. And I've been telling people for years, don't ever take field sobriety tests. Don't be a jerk about it, but respectfully refuse to take the tests. Don't answer any of his questions. You have the Fifth Amendment right to not answer his questions. And you don't have to remember and be like, I've got a Second Amendment right not to answer. No, that's the other one. You have a Fifth Amendment right not to answer any of his questions. You don't have to tell him that. He knows that. Don't answer any of them. And like everybody else who comes in and says, well, they didn't even Mirandize me. They don't have to Mirandize you. They only have to Mirandize you if they want to successfully defeat a motion to suppress on all the shit you say when they're questioning you. They don't have to Mirandize you, and usually they don't. So you refuse the field sobriety tests, and now you're in the back of the police car. Now remember... You have the right to remain silent, but you may not have the ability. And that's what he's banking on. He will be quiet, and people, especially drunk people, or people who are otherwise impaired, people on medication, whatever, people do not like silence. It's uncomfortable. Police officers know this. So they'll put you in the back of the car, and they won't say a word. I've watched a video where they had to take a guy, took him to one jail, and that jail wouldn't take him. I don't know if they were on lockdown or they were full or I have no idea why, but they wouldn't take him. Then they took him to another jail and that jail wouldn't take him. Same thing. I, I have no idea why. And this was out in the country. This wasn't in a, in a major city where they'll, they'll take you. And then he started getting sick. Not, not like throwing up sick, but he was something was wrong with him. They, and they could tell something was wrong with him. So they took him to the hospital. This tape was almost three hours long. And to his credit, my client didn't say a word the entire time. They tried the silent treatment on him, and he just gave it right back. He was completely silent. Then they tried talking to him a little bit. So, how's your day? What do you do? You know, hey, you hungry? Blah, blah, blah. He didn't say one damn word for about three hours. That case ended up getting dismissed, but we talk about that kind of thing. That's going to be our part two on this. This is after you've you've been arrested. So keep your mouth shut. I know it's really difficult, especially if you're on some party drugs. It's really hard to shut up, but you got to. You have to keep your mouth shut. 
And when they take you to jail, they're going to book you in and they'll stick you in the drunk tank with a bunch of people and you'll probably get barfed on and maybe you won't. They'll stick you in the drunk tank if it's a big city jail like Dallas or Houston or Austin or, you know, San Antonio or wherever. Um, what they do in other states, I'm assuming it's similar because I've, I do talk to lots of lawyers who are not Texas lawyers and it seems like it's about the same everywhere. But um, after you've been in the drunk take or in, in, in the cell, depending on who you are, if you're a lawyer or a judge or uh, marginally famous or really famous, you'll probably get your own cell because they don't want the liability of the wrong person recognizing you, which brings me to a story I can't tell about someone hollering for their lawyer and their lawyer being in the same cell. Jeez, oh, I guess I just told it. I won't give names. They're going to store you for a minute, and then they're going to take you to the video room. And if you've gotten a DWI, you've seen the video room. And if you went to court, you've really seen the video room because the videotape gets played in court. The video room is designed to make you look as, as wasted as possible, whether you are or not. There's a, there's a line down the floor, up the wall, and they have you stand where... The jury later on, or the judge, if you don't choose a jury, always choose a jury, can see the slightest amount of sway. And there are very few people who stand stock still and don't budge an inch. So the video room is designed to exaggerate that. Just like I would argue the field sobriety tests are designed to exaggerate things that they can then say point to you being intoxicated or otherwise impaired that everybody does. I can't walk a straight line heel to toe. I hurt my ankle a long time ago, you know, but don't tell them that. Just refuse the tests. My eyes bounce on the horizontal gauge nystagmus, the finger and the flashlight thing. The reason my eyes bounce on that is because I have an eye condition. It's not that serious. It's just, and a lot of people do. Um, which means that, you know, under uh, field sobriety tests, I could be stone cold sober and I couldn't pass those tests. They're designed to maximize the arrest rate of people that get pulled over for suspicion of, of driving under the influence or while otherwise impaired. They're not designed to be fair and determine whether or not you're, you're drunk or whatever. And then if you're not, they let you go and they're like, well, we're sorry. Have a nice night. No, 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 no. They are designed to win the case. These are evidence gathering tools. I don't care what anybody tries to convince you. I don't care what the mad mothers say. By the way, I'm a fan of theirs in some instances. I don't care what anybody tells you. These are evidence gathering tools for the prosecution. They are not designed to catch and release people that shouldn't have been caught in the first place. So put that bullshit out of your head because that's not the way it is. And I don't care if you're, oh, yeah, I could do all that whether I'm drunk or not. Well, even if you can, you're still going to jail. And if you go to jail and you're dumb enough to take the BAC or a blood test and it shows that you have no alcohol in your system, they'll just modify the charging instrument. That's the piece of paper they use to try you. They'll just modify it to or otherwise impaired and claim you were on drugs. So all these tests are designed as tools. They're tools of the prosecution. 
they're not scientific tools to weed out the people who don't deserve to be tried for a DWI. Anyway, back to the video room. When you're in the video room, they're going to ask you to lean down and pick up a piece of paper and read it. My advice for people in the video room, I had one client one time who was so hammered he fell asleep, and he was a big guy. Big. I mean, like 6'8", 350. Uh, he was enormous. He should have played. He should have been a professional wrestler. When they came to get him, he was asleep. And they kept trying to wake him up, and he did wake up, but he played possum, and they finally just gave up, and they weren't going to pick him up and drag him into the video room because he was too big. It would be too much of a hassle. So they just left him. And so he ended up with no video. He hadn't done the field sobriety tests. He kept his mouth shut because he was hammered. We ended up getting a reduction and eventual dismissal on him. So I'm not saying that that's the way to do it, but it worked. When you're in the video room, they're going to ask you to pick up that piece of paper and read. And the piece of paper is way down on the floor. It's on a little, little shelf thing. But it's down on the floor, and they want you to stand on this line and lean way over. And if you're not between the age of 15 and 30 and athletic, you're probably not capable of actually doing that without looking like you're drunk. Once again, it's a tool to the prosecution. And then they want you to read this tongue twister. And in Texas, it's about the state of Texas, of course. And it's something that... I've been uh, a professional broadcaster for years, uh, then went on to try cases in front of judges and juries for decades, and I'm not saying that I'm a toastmaster by any means, and uh, anyone who listens to my show knows that I mess up a few words. I don't think I could read this thing perfectly, especially under those circumstances. But they're going to ask you to do that, and you can sit down and refuse to do all of these. Then they're going to ask, can we take a sample of your breath or your blood? They have a breathalyzer in there. We used to have one at the office. We used it as a, a demonstration aid in, in, in court when we could get it in there. Breathalyzers are not accurate. If you burp before you take the breathalyzer, you're going to blow way high. Um, there's bodily functions that can cause you to blow high on a breathalyzer whether you've been drinking or not. They're not accurate. They tend to be inaccurate in favor of the prosecution, probably because they are a method of gathering evidence for the prosecution. And they'll run their game of, you know, uh, testing the breathalyzer and calibrating the breathalyzer and all that. It's all complete BS. They don't work. They're not accurate, period. Your alternative is to submit to a blood test. The only way I would say to submit to a blood test is if you have, haven't been drinking at all and you don't have some kind of a condition that's going to show alcohol in your blood whether you've been drinking or not. You can have a .02 from your deodorant, from using Purell, or some people's bodies just produce alcohol. That's a fact. You can Google it. Now, a .02 is not intoxicated by definition. It could fall under or otherwise impaired. And if you blood test a 0.0, they don't just can't drop the case. Then they just alter it and say you were otherwise impaired by whatever drug they want to say you were on. But if you just absolutely have to take the blood test and you haven't been drinking, that's, that's what will probably happen. That brings us to no refusal weekends. That's false advertising. You can still refuse 
the blood test, breath test. I'm just going to lump them in. But usually on those weekends, it's going to be a blood test. You can still refuse. They have to get a warrant for your blood when you refuse. They usually have a couple magistrates on duty round the clock on those holiday weekends, the big drinking holidays like 4th of July, New Year's. I guess all holidays are big drinking holidays as far as I'm concerned. But the big drinking holidays, they have magistrates on duty signing those warrants and stamping those warrants. Make them get a warrant to get your blood. Do not fall for the no-refusal propaganda. Make them get a warrant. It's one more thing that they could screw up and that your defense attorney can use later on. Trust me on this. Those warrants, a lot of times, are not done properly. And if the warrant isn't done properly, then the blood results can get thrown out of the window. Make them get a warrant. Now, once you finish your time in the video room. And if you refuse all the tests, yeah, they're going to take your driver's license. Refuse them anyway. Wait, I'm not giving legal advice, but that's what I would do. I would refuse them anyway. Worry about the driver's license later. You can always get an occupational so you can drive to and from work or school or whatever you need to do. You have to get an attorney, and uh, but it's not rocket surgery. What you want to do is slow down the evidence collecting freight train of the prosecution and you slow it down by refusing tests by keeping your mouth shut by uh, sitting there in the video room and not doing anything you speed it up by taking all the tests regardless of whether they're invalid and you know when we get to the going to the courthouse part in part two we'll discuss how we as attorneys attack those tests once we're in court but your job right now while you're uh, dealing with being downtown in the jail is to stop that evidence freight train by not giving up any evidence. If they get a warrant, they're going to take your blood. We'll worry about whether or not the warrant was valid later. I tried a case one time with a ex-cop who blew a .28 and pissed himself, and we walked him. Attorneys can work magic with these cases. you got to get a good one. You got to get somebody who knows how to try a case. You got to get somebody who knows how to pick a jury. But we're going to talk about all that in part two. Once you've gotten a DWI, we're going to skip over part two. And we're going to say you got a DWI and you got a conviction. Or you just got an arrest. Maybe you were found not guilty or maybe it was plea bargained down or whatever. Once you've got a DWI, you're much more likely to get another one. And someone just said, that's because you're a drunk and it's not. It's not because you're a drunk. It's because if you listen to, I think it was our show on I Know My Rights, No You Don't, every time, no wait, it was in the How to Get Away with Murder show about having bodies in the trunk of your car. Every time a cop pulls up behind you, they're either manually running your license plate or they're using their license plate viewing cameras, which they now surround their cars with. They stick out like little feelers all the way around the vehicle and they automatically run your plate and they'll pop up that you've had a previous DWI arrest or a previous DWI conviction or maybe two maybe three and you're getting pulled over so the reason why the first one is like opening the tap on the next ones is because they're going to they're going to pull you over a lot more because they're 
system or they, if they're doing it manually, they just type in your license plate, tells them that you've had a previous alcohol-related law enforcement contact, which is the way they define it. And if you've had a previous one, then you're more likely to be a good target for getting pulled over and taken to jail again. And I've seen this happen with people who are driving their friend's cars and their friend has had a couple of alcohol-related law enforcement contacts. And that's not just DWIs. That is public intoxication. That is minor in possession of alcohol. I mean, there are several different crimes that are defined as alcohol-related law enforcement contacts. So I've had people who are driving their friend's car, and their friend's had a couple of these, and they've never had anything, and they get pulled over all the time. Like, every couple of days, they're getting pulled over and asked, how much you got a drink? I'm going to work. You know, I've only had three. No, I'm, I'm going, I'm not, I haven't had anything to drink. So once you get that tag on you, you're going to get pulled over a lot more. If you do get a DWI or some other alcohol-related law enforcement contact, you really better not be drinking and driving or driving while otherwise impaired because you're going to get pulled over more often. And the first DWI is a minor nightmare, and the second DWI is a wake-up screaming nightmare. And in Texas, the third DWI is a felony. And we put people in prison for felonies. The highest time I've ever heard of someone getting for a felony DWI without an accident, without any injuries at all, and I worked the appeal on this case. I was not the trial lawyer on this case. I want to emphasize I was not the trial lawyer on this case because the guy got 18 years for a DWI, a felony DWI. I tried a case one time on an intoxication manslaughter case where the guy got Less than an eighth of that. Anyway, and someone actually died in this case. So there are people doing, and when we argued the appeal, we argued that the 18-year sentence was tantamount to a life sentence because the guy was elderly and sick. There, There are people doing double the time that someone would get for aggravated sexual assault, which is lawyer talk for rape, for felony DWIs. The fact that you've got that on your record and they have license plate readers means you're going to get pulled over a lot more often. So you better, unless it's a zombie apocalypse, you better be taking Uber or making someone drive you home. And with that, because I don't want to get into part two, I, I don't think I can do part two justice by just making this a long part one. So with that, none of this was legal advice. A double disclaimer on this one, like on the How to Get Away with Murder one, which was our last show, by the way, if you haven't listened to it. Have an evil day.